Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, producers face a number of challenges from drought to disease, pressure, unpredictable weather patterns, market volatility fluctuations and in input prices and labor shortages. And these are just a few, but they are the ones that farmers have little to no control over, yet they have huge impact on profitability and sustainability of farming operations. The Olds Alberta College Smart Farm is essentially a giant lab that provides agriculture sector a venue for commercial scale applied research. Director of Applied Research Joy Agnew will explain how the Smart Farm is examining the future of agriculture and technology and finding solutions to some of the problems that farmers face every day. The COVID-19 pandemic has had a major impact on our lives. It shut down large portions of the global economy this spring, and while there has been a moderate rebound, the overall numbers are negative. Craig Klemmer with Farm Credit Canada will talk about the repercussions of the pandemic on the Canadian economy and the ag sector and provide us a glimpse into 2021 when the recovery begins. After the break, Joy Agnew. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. Joy Agnew is the Director of Applied Research at Olds College in Central Alberta. The Smart Farm, located at the college, is studying some of the agriculture-related technologies that are available to farmers. Joy, first of all, what are you hoping to learn from these assessments that you're doing um, of technology? In my opinion, this is the true value of technology or the value of smart farming and data for agriculture. It's helping producers make management decisions that account for all of these things that they have no control over, yet have a huge impact on their bottom line. So trying to make decisions or planning a crop rotation or planning a nutrient application strategy or an integrated pest management strategy uh, that accounts for all of these things that are unpredictable and you have no control over is extremely difficult. So things like weather and climate change and the fluctuating cost of inputs and market volatility, um, the fact that it's an extremely complex relationship between soil, plant, water and air, labor shortages and logistical challenges and throw in supply chain challenges as we've experienced through COVID. Um, it's just there's a lot. There's a, a lot to consider, a lot to account for. And it's almost impossible to, to do this sort of you know one to one relationship. So technology and data is what can is, is are tools that can help producers make evidence-based decisions to manage this risk. And and the key word there is tools. Technology and data are simply tools to help producers. They aren't a solution to any one particular problem. Now, there is a lot of technology available to producers, uh, especially in the last 10 to 15 years. So what is new and uh, what has been around for a while? If you look at the, the, the timeline of technology development, there actually hasn't been a whole lot of new concepts or new technologies developed over the last 10 years. What's been happening over the last 10 years is the application or utilization of sort of new age tech to improve or change the way we are doing some of these um, ag techs that were that were developed in the 90s and early 2000s. 
like yield monitoring, precision soil sampling, variable rate fertility. These were all developed in, in the 90s and some even further back in the 80s. We're just, we're just learning and developing better ways to do these things. Even automated guidance and automated session control and variable rate seeding, those are 20 plus years ago. We are just tweaking the ways that, that we, are, we are adopting these. So this evolution of ag technologies is, is ongoing, obviously, and it's going to continue evolving over the next five to 10 years. Now, there's going to be challenges, I guess, related to the ag tech revolution. Uh, you've talked about the purpose being the matching of tools to problems. We, we hear a lot from, from innovators and tech developers that, you know, they're coming to the table with a solution to something. And it's usually a solution to a problem they don't really fully understand. Um, and that's always the, the first stage in defining or developing a really good solution is really fully understanding the problem within the agricultural context. And that's what we're helping innovators with is really understanding what the problem is before fine tuning or developing a tool. There's um, a lot of issues with, with translating data into actionable intelligence. It's extremely easy to collect terabytes and terabytes of data, and most farmers are already, um, but converting that data into something useful and actionable is where the challenges are. There's a limited access to uh, expertise in the innovation ecosystem to help innovators get their idea from a napkin to a commercial product uh, without going to multiple places in multiple countries to find you know, the, the resources and expertise they need. There needs to be a more, I guess, um, concentrated or uh, locally or regionally available expertise and, and resources to, to get that idea from an initial concept to, to something that's deployable in the field. And limited access to training and dissemination opportunities. I've, I've presented and attended quite a few conferences over the last couple of years and keep hearing about all these cool technologies and everyone's excited about it, but no one knows where they're gonna to go to learn how to use them or learn how you know, they might, it might impact their bottom line on their farm. So there needs to be access to training and dissemination opportunities to help get over this. What are these challenges related to the ag tech evolution? And Olds College is taking on this work. So can you explain what your work involves and what you're hoping to accomplish? So the Smart Ag Applied Research Program at Olds College is really focused on supporting the development of validation technologies. So helping small to medium-sized enterprises and innovators get that idea from a napkin to the field um, with a focus on improving productivity and sustainability of food production and utilizing data for better management decisions. So although we are supporting tech developers, the, the research projects that we do focuses on ROI. What is the value of this technology for our own farm operations and how could it apply to, to other farming operations? So our key audience are, is producers as well as tech developers, agronomists, advisors, students, and policymakers. And right now, the projects that we are running run under about four research themes, including autonomous equipment, data and sensors, tech development and validation, and regenerative agriculture. Joy Agnew is with Olds College, and she is the Director of Applied Research. Joy, can you tell us about some of the research projects that are underway at the Smart Farm right now? Uh, one of the first projects we launched just over a year and a half ago was uh, a data management platform comparison. 
So there are dozens, if not over a hundred uh, data management platforms out there. We picked the six, I guess, that are, that are most common and utilize all of them for our own farm data management. And we weren't trying to pick a winner or a loser, and we didn't do that. What we did was we assessed uh, and compared the various um, parameters, I guess, or functionalities of each of these tools in order to just help us determine the best fit for the different needs and applications. Um, just so that you don't necessarily have to do your own side-by-side -side checking of features, we have provided that in, um, in our fact sheet that is posted on our website. So this was one of our first projects and we are continuing with most of these data management platforms, although not all of them, and are looking to, to add and evaluate additional platforms as they become available. A big part of what we're doing is related to connectivity and robustness and ease of interoperability of the various soil, climate, and crop sensors that are available. There are numerous sensors available and the, the usability and the value of the data from these is still a little bit uncertain. So we have developed sensor clusters across our farm and are evaluating the same sensors in, in a cluster basically, so side by side with other sensors to look at connectivity, robustness, quality of the data, applicability of the technology for Western Canada, uh, and the required density of sensors for management decisions. How many soil sensors do you need in a field in order to, to make good management decisions based on that information? On the technology validation and evaluation side, this is where we take either pre-commercial or already commercially available technologies and answer research questions around them. So optical spot spray technology is actually um, deployed on, on several farms in Western Canada. This is the, the green on brown technology that in real time, as you're traveling through the field, it's looking for green and spraying green. So it's obviously only suitable for, for herbicide application pre-seed or pre-emergence anyway, or possibly pre-harvest or post-harvest. Um, so we're looking at specifically, you know, the effect of things like travel velocity, ground condition, the actual weed density, and the various settings on the equipment, and looking at all of those things and their impact on chemical use reduction and accuracy, basically the hit or miss rate of this equipment. It's an on-combine near-infrared spectrometer for real-time grade constituent analysis. So this is commercially available. Uh, so we, we installed it and calibrated it and actually had very few issues on, on the functionality side. We're just waiting on the lab samples to uh, validate the accuracy, I guess, or, or how close were the um, grain protein measurements that this near-infrared spectrometer gave us versus the, the wet chemistry or gold standard values. So we were able to generate a protein map from the field that we harvested with this equipment. Uh, and then on the right, we're doing some beta testing for a company developing an in-bin drying sensor and algorithm that basically measures real-time water removal rates from grain bin during, during drying. With or without heat, you can add uh, supplemental heat or, or it can be just, just natural air drying. Uh, but this tool allows you to, to see your actual drying rates and it tells you how many more fan operation hours are required to reach uh, safe to store moisture content. So it's a very simple uh, cost-effective tool and it, it can actually change the game, I guess, when it, when it comes to in-bin drying systems. 
But there's there's lots of questions around some of these things. So like the effect of velocity on chemical use reduction, or if we do have a geo-referenced protein map of your field, how can you use that for agronomic or maybe marketing decisions? Um, or how can the accuracy of the airflow rate estimation be improved to better estimate the water balance during in-bin drying? There's lots of research questions that, that we are working on answering with our work with these technologies. And of course, uh, autonomous equipment has been getting a lot of attention. Is it feasible to be used on a full farm operation as it stands right now? We're going to see more and more of this type of equipment out in the field. But there's lots of questions around, you know, how does autonomous equipment compare with traditional equipment when it comes to field efficiency, labor efficiency, fuel efficiency, um, how technically functional are these things? How much training do you need or what type of training do you need in order to become um, a qualified user for these things? There's just there's lots of questions around the, the uh, economic and I guess even the social implementation of these technologies, as well as some of the technical side of things like, is there a better way or an easier way for real-time obstacle detection or for the field boundary mapping that's required to operate this equipment? So there, there's lots of work to be done, but it's a really exciting area to be working in. And of course, uh, variable rate technology is common practice now. What work is going on with this and how can it benefit farmers? We did do some variable rate fungicide applications this year, um, I guess on in a single field, but this was using a specific mapping technology that used just satellite imagery for um, developing the map for the, the fungicide application. So we did obviously a check strip. This was a low rate and a high rate fungicide application. And we did actually apply this fungicide using the DOT and the Patterson liquid system or the Patterson sprayer. Um, basically just answering questions around can satellite imagery be used to reliably provide information to generate the maps? Uh, can this algorithm be streamlined, improved or altered? And how easy was it to implement? Because the, the value proposition of this particular company is that it's a really simple, way to generate a prescription map for producers who may have never done any variable rate before. Um, and it's a, it's a one-stop way to do it. You don't necessarily need an agronomist to work with. This company will provide the map uh, to you at, at their cost. So obviously a lot of information is being gathered. How are you putting this together for farmers? And what do you want from farmers as you start to uh, build this research program? Building and maintaining a robust framework for getting this information into the hands of producers and tech developers is a key focus area for us. So I'm asking you, what are the burning questions related to ag tech that you want answered? Because the work that we do, the technologies that we adopt, the questions that we answer are probably, I, I want them to come from industry. They can't be from me sitting at my desk wondering about stuff. I need to hear what, what the questions are from industry. Olds College Director of Applied Research, Joy Agnew. After the break, Farm Credit Canada Principal Agricultural Economist Craig Clemmer talks about what we can expect in terms of an economic recovery post-COVID-19. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. 2020 is going down as one of the most challenging economic years in our lifetime. COVID-19 shut down large parts of the global economy this spring. 
Craig Clemmer is Farm Credit Canada's principal agricultural economist. Uh, Craig, you've been speaking to farm groups, um, just in particular one online town hall meeting that was sponsored by the Canadian Cattlemen's Association talking about the subject. So, Craig, even with a moderate rebound, are you still expecting overall numbers for the year to be negative? Annual GDP for 2020 is expected to decline about 5.7% in Canada. The United States, they've opened up their economy and and fighting a little bit harder to try and keep that economy opening. And and we're looking at their economy contracting 3.5% or so. The European Union, they've had even bigger issues with COVID and shutting down their economies and trying to restart, looking at declines of about 8%. Now, I understand that there was only one country looking at a small growth in 2020 gross domestic product, and that is the place where the novel coronavirus originated. So China is expecting an increase of 1.6% in GDP this year. Uh, What is it looking like heading into 2021? We're looking at the global economy kind of snapping back a little quicker. Growth in around that 5% range globally. Part of that that we'll have to watch is we could see some more growth opportunities as the vaccines come through through 2021. Maybe we see uh, economies opening up a lot more. And then the other big question is going to be what do we see on stimulus? So you're saying that spending in the fourth quarter was definitely there. But are the individual consumers' buying trends changing at all? People are buying quite a bit more Christmas gifts, and we're seeing that that instead of spending money on those trips and that, we're spending more money on Canadian products. And and there might be some opportunities. We might see some increased demand at at food, but because people are gathering in smaller groups, I'm not sure that it's going to translate in terms of major opportunities for the food sector and food products here. Now, we've seen a a huge economic stimulus during the pandemic, but that is also creating a large debt. Now, I've seen statistics that Canada's debt-to-GDP ratio increased from 30% at the end of 2019 to 46% at the end of this year. Now, it sounds bad, but I'd like to hear what's happening in other countries. Are there even higher ratios? You know, Japan's at 177% debt to GDP, United States at over 100% debt to GDP now. You know, these countries have have higher debt levels than where we are. So from that perspective of debt and GDP, we're not too bad. Still higher than places like Australia and a lot of the Nordic countries. But I, I think when we put it into context, it's important to see where we are. That being said, we don't want to keep running up these deficits. As I mentioned, we do have to pay these back. And it's important to consider that. I'm speaking with Farm Credit Canada's principal agricultural economist, Craig Clemmer. In your presentation to the Canadian Cattlemen's Association, you said the Bank of Canada has been buying debt from the federal government at a pace of about $4 billion per week. What happens next? I would assume that there is a delicate balance on when these assets will be sold. As the Bank of Canada unwinds this quantitative easing program, these assets, they're selling this back into the market. And that means other institutions, whether it's pension funds, whether it's companies, they need to digest this debt back into the market. So it's kind of adding this liquidity that you would talk about. So when we think about interest rates rising and what that's going to look like, part of the story is the Bank of Canada is going to want to ease the amount of assets that they're purchasing from $4 billion a week down to what they would do in a longer term normal average, as well as start increasing rates. And it's really quite a delicate balance. 
So the Bank of Canada has also committed to keeping interest rates low through to 2023. What trends are you seeing with the Canadian dollar in 2021? Our expectation is that we see the Canadian dollar moving mostly flat sideways as we continue to figure out what's happening in the COVID situation, as we continue to get vaccines in both the Canadian and U.S. economy and start these economies to start moving forward and, and building As we see some strengthening of the U.S. economy, we could see the Canadian dollar decline slightly. But as that stimulus starts coming in, as we start seeing demand for energy products, potentially, we could see the dollar start bumping up slightly in the latter half of 2021. You told cattle producers during the recent town hall event that farm cash receipt numbers for the first nine months of this year have not been good for the livestock sector. But that really comes as no surprise for producers, I'm sure. If we look at livestock receipts overall, down 2.2% in Canada. If we look at by province, you know, we can see receipts down 8.6% in Manitoba, 7.7% in Saskatchewan. So we've seen some fairly large declines in, in that revenue piece. And and that's that's you in the room here or you on the call here that are feeling those challenges and, and having to deal with these impacts on your operation. And, and that's very much what I hear. Craig Clemmer is Farm Credit Canada's Principal Agricultural Economist. It's time for the weekly Agriculture News Roundup for the week of December 14, 2020. A new report said the consolidation of Canada's beef processing plants had made the industry vulnerable to disease outbreaks. And there was also a warning that shutdowns similar to what occurred early on in the pandemic could easily happen again. The University of Calgary School of Public Policy Studies said creating a greater number of smaller scale facilities scattered across the country would better insulate the food industry from a future pandemic. But the report also said large slaughterhouses and meatpacking plants benefit from economies of scale that keep prices lower for consumers. There was an increased interest in the advanced payment program. Canadian Canola Growers Association administers that program. CCGA Director of Finance and Operations Dave Gallant said the reduced interest rate was a contributing factor. He said on $1 million, the blended rate is 1.53%. Borrowing at prime is a savings of almost $10,000 per year. Borrowing at prime plus a half is a $15,000 saving per year. He said the program is over $200 million ahead of last year's pace. Prairie Wheat Commissions questioned the impact of wheat prices on food costs outlined in a recent Canadian Press article. Sask Wheat, Manitoba Crop Alliance and Alberta Wheat are concerned the CP's story inaccurately reflected the impact of the price of wheat on rising food costs in Canada. Saskatchewan Wheat Commission Chair Brett Halstead said the price changes quoted are misleading and do not accurately reflect the on-farm prices wheat producers are receiving for their grain. 2020 was not a bad year for insect pests in Saskatchewan. Provincial insect specialist James Tansey said in the spring there was localized flea beetle damage and cutworms in canola. Strong winds had an impact on the diamondback moth. Tansey said the diamondback blows in at high altitudes, but it doesn't do well with strong surface winds. Tansey said one insect on the radar for next spring is the wheat midge in northern areas, especially if there is a wet spring.
BASF Agricultural Solutions received PMRA registration for the active ingredient topramazone, the first Group 27 herbicide approved for pre-seed use in canola. BASF said in a news release it will provide kosher and volunteer canola control in crops in the 2021 growing season. They also received PMRA registration for Smolder, a new pre-seed treatment for wheat and barley. The company added it will provide growers with both residual control of volunteer canola and will be available for the 2022 season. The National Farmers Union applauded the federal government's action plan on nitrogen fertilizer emissions. Ottawa set a target of 30 percent below 2020 levels. NFU President Katie Ward said Canadian agriculture emissions are rising and the increase is driven by increasing emissions from nitrogen fertilizer use. Ward said there are many ways that farmers can be supported to reduce nitrogen use, including federal programs to hire independent public servant agrologists to work with farmers to reduce fertilizer input, fund additional soil sampling and other monitoring and data collection, and mandate fertilizer manufacturers to reduce carbon dioxide and methane emissions at production facilities. The federal government announced $5.9 million for on-farm research projects in Manitoba. The funds are geared for cooperative work between farmers and scientists to determine best practices for environmental management. The Living Lab Eastern Prairies project was launched throughout the last year on farms in the Upper Oak Lake, Swan Lake, Northern Shannon Creek and Main Drain watersheds. Current farming projects include perennial grass buffer strips, cover cropping, intercropping, and the construction of small wetland retention ponds. Heading into the winter months, Saskatchewan Crop Insurance Corporation reminded producers of possible wildlife damage to crops. Executive Director Darby Warner said most incidents of winter wildlife damage is in stacked forages. Warner said if you don't have previous SCIC coverage, you're still eligible for wildlife damage because it covers crop damage because of the proximity between livestock and wildlife. He says it's important for producers to call their insurance broker the moment they notice wildlife crop damage. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.